Lost Warriors Live podcast featuring Fonzie 2023, episode 30. Um, Will Evans here with Fonzie and a special guest, Keith Whitelock. Uh, first of all, uh, the podcast brought to you by King's Container Crew. If you're looking for packing and unpacking solutions for your containers uh, at either end in Auckland, Christchurch, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne and Perth, head to kingscontainercrew.com. That's Kings with a Z. And uh, hit the work with us tab. Thank you, Kings. And thank you and welcome, Keith, for joining us on this Monday afternoon. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks for uh, having me, guys. It's been a long time coming to try and tee up a time where we're all available. Um, what an honour to be here. I've been listening to your, your podcast for years now, and it's been one of the highlights of my week. So it's good to finally be able to contribute something back. Um, I'm excited. That's awesome, hey. mate. And uh, obviously, you've uh, we've we've heard you on other podcasts and that sort of thing, and and seen you work around Twitter and a few articles on everything rugby league and that sort of thing. You're a, uh, one of the more generous Patreon subscribers out there, actually, Keith. So thank you very much for that support, mate. Um, I guess to kick things off, why don't you give us a bit of a a bio about yourself and your background, and you got a bit of an Aussie accent there, mate. How, how <laughs> you come to be a, 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 a Warriors supporter? Can't believe how many of them. There are of you guys. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm sure Fonzie can empathise with this. It's something that people ask about all the time because they don't see they, – they sort of correlate it like we're following the Kiwis. I don't necessarily follow the Kiwis, although certainly a, a soft spot for the Kiwis. But um, fundamentally, the Warriors are a club, albeit representing all of New Zealand rugby league in a roundabout way. But I originally went from uh, – for the for the Western Suburbs Magpies, if you can go back far enough there. and collapsed in um in the year to 99 basically and, and i really didn't, did not want to follow the west tigers i hated balmain i went off the game for a while and um my i originally grew up in the southwest of sydney so that's magpies heartland and then when i was about 12 um, my family moved to the lower north shore and um believe it or not started following union for a little bit and then um it was the the warriors era of stacy jones arlen guttenbill Ali Lawatiti, Monty Beetham, et cetera, that got me back into rugby league. And I'm a huge internationalist. I think that, um, you know, anyone that wants the game to grow, you know, fundamentally needs to support the international game. And the Warriors are the most international team that, or the only international team that the NRL has. So I started following them and almost 25 years later now, it's been a painful period with some triumphs, um, but ultimately we haven't got there yet. But um, I think it's created a camaraderie amongst the a brotherhood of fans that I consider myself honoured to be a part of and we'll get there one day for everyone listening we will get there and I'll sort of book that tattoo in or something like that or so, do something to celebrate and probably cry for the first time in many years my wife would say but um yeah just a passionate league fan loving what the Warriors are doing this year well speaking of this year I mean this is where would this rank for you uh, in your time being a Warriors supporter as you know obviously 20 2002, 2011, we had the uh, grand finals, but uh, it's hard to remember just the fan base so electrified as they are this year. It probably ranks with the era of 2002, 2003, because the footy that we're playing is is sustainable and it instills a bit of, bit of faith and confidence in me that it can be replicated week to week. Um, whereas I remember, you know, how pumped I was in 2011 when we made the grand final and, you know, we had a team with Kevin Locke, uh, young Sean Johnson, of course, and, and James Maloney, et cetera. 
Um, you know, if you remember week one of the finals, I think we played Brisbane and it smashed us by 40 points or something like that. And you just knew like, oh, geez, we were lucky that we finished, um, you know, sixth or higher that year to survive the next week. And then we got our, our ship together basically and we made the grand final. That was exciting. But there was always that element of, are we, you know, can we replicate this week to week? And, and 2018 had a great start to it. Um, and they kept, but each week that they won, especially that win against the Roosters where Mason Leno starred, it was kind of like, um, geez, when's this going to end? Whereas I know there's an element of that this year, but it just feels so, I keep coming back to the word sustainable this year because there's genuinely sort of classy defensive structures and attacking structures in there. They, and there's still upside to go. So even whatever happens this year, I'm actually confident heading into next year and the and the year beyond that. And that's the first time I can say that probably since 2002, 2003. Outstanding summary there, mate, and totally agree with you there. Uh, before I forget, Keith, you've got a, a podcast that's about to kick off yourself, NRL Therapy. Do you want to explain what, uh, what we can expect from that? Yeah, so this one's not confined to the Warriors, although I can't help but talk about the Warriors in a good week. Um, it's called Rugby League Therapy. It hasn't quite launched yet, so... Um, we're hoping to launch it in the next week or two um, on Spotify, and it's just uh, me and a, one of my uh, best mates who now lives over in England in Hertfordshire, um, just just talking everything NRL. Usually dissect the top sort of five articles of interest that we've come across that week, and then do a quick preview of the round. So it's not quite a Warriors podcast, but um, we do touch on all the pertinent issues from the NRL that week. Awesome. We'll give that a good push when uh, when you get that underway. Um, Fonzie, better bring you in, mate. I don't think I've uh, heard you on the podcast not talk for this long. How are you? I'm well, mate. I'm well. For the listeners out there, I can't get my camera to work for some reason, so I'm sort of fading into the background here. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit discombobulating, to be honest. I'm struggling with it. <laughs> mate, I, I've just been I've just been clicking every button on the keyboard, and it's not coming on. So I think it's it's cooked. But um, yeah, great to be be on with Keithy. You now, obviously, this isn't the first time I've. Um, heard Keithy on a podcast. He did one a while ago. Some uh, I don't think it's still around that podcast, but it was a bloody good one. It's called uh, Fonzie's Talks Warriors or something like that. And uh, Keith did a, a segment on International Rugby League for that podcast. Was it 18 months ago or something? Um, so um, this is my second um, live show with Keith, and great to have you on board. Um, and interesting, I didn't know your story was the mirror image reverse story of mine about the Balmain West merger, where I wouldn't cop it on the Balmain side, you wouldn't cop it on the West side, and here we are. So, yeah, wow, interesting. It's it's so it's such a common thing you hear over here, and the sort of impact of the Super League war that people uh, maybe from outside Sydney in particular um, don't understand, and the reverberations it sort of had over the years. It's uh, it's quite amazing. But anyway, great to be on with you, mate. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I didn't like Wayne Pierce at the time. I, I preferred Tommy Rodonigas, but uh, I was only very young at the time. I now know Tommy Rodonigas wasn't the best coach, if I'm being honest with you, and Wayne Pierce is probably the right decision. But yeah, no way was I following the Tigers at the time. I understood. So, why don't we start, boys, by um, recapping a little bit um, the Raiders game, which I think we can then segue into a broader question for you, Keith, you were going to come to around where do you see us at the moment? How do you see us placed um, for this run home? And if I start with the Raiders game, I know you and Brad um, talked about it 
will on Friday, so I won't sort of get you to cover that ground. But my take was um, beforehand I had concerns around them running five props and a big 13 at us in likely wet conditions and obviously the lesson learned out of the Roosters and Rabbitohs game was that we might not do too well um, for a team that wants to play a middle power game in the wet. And so I was pretty worried about this game. Um, I ended up watching it at the casino in Sydney before a work function. So I was sitting there having a beer and there's this old bloke at the table next to me um, also sitting there having a beer. It's a massive screen. There's a lot of people there and stuff, but we were sort of front row. And um, I'm going up to get a beer. I said, hey, mate, you want me to get you one while I'm there? And he goes, no, nah, no, nah, it's all good. Thanks. But, you know, we got talking. So it turns out to be Luke Metcalf's missus's granddad um, who who doesn't have any Warriors mates like because, you know, he's only following him through that and he happened to be around so he'd come in. So I ended up having a chat with him for the whole rest of the game and was taking me through Luke's career and, you know, experiences he's had and that sort of thing. Really um, great old bloke. Um, and I won't – like I, I told him I'd do a podcast and stuff, but he didn't um, – he didn't tell me that I could say on the pod things that he told me. But other than to say that he um, spoke pretty highly and, you know, I think that Luke thinks pretty highly of a lot of the people at the club and the way he's been treated at our club. Um, so that was really good to hear. But um, – yeah, so we were watching this game and um, I sort of thought it started a bit how I feared it would, where Canberra probably um, were playing that power game and we were sort of nip and tuck in there. But um, there's quite a few errors on the Canberra side and I think that was helping us. And, you know, there was a few errors at our end too. It was one of these games where neither team really got going. But when you got to the back end of the game, it sort of dawned on me, like Canberra just can't attack. Like they dead set can't attack. They had more possession. They had good field position. Um, they were making yardage on their carries, but their middle's just not joined up to anything, you know. And so we were defending our line and holding them out um, effectively like we've done all year, but they weren't throwing a great deal at us, to be honest. And it was only sort of these trick shots from Rapana or, you know, that trick shot in the last minute of the game that had them crossing our line. And so I took away from that, you know, we we did uh, on a five-day turnaround, flew into camp, um, opposition who has picked a side that's designed to offset, you know, to attack our biggest weakness potentially. And we held our own, we held our line um, and probably came out the better side. But um, I did walk away too going, man, Canberra can't attack. Like they, they've got, they got nothing. They've got no skill. Their halves aren't really joined to their edges, their middle doesn't join to their edge. And so I didn't take a huge amount away from that game in terms of um, where we sit in the season that I didn't already have from the Sharks game and previously, if that makes sense. I still think, um, you know, a team with a little bit more going on in the edges probably beats us that night. Um, And, you know, so a Penrith, I think, beats us that night, you know, based on that performance. So um, no one's going to be shocked to hear that, but I still think we got a way to go and that was – sort of my take. And if I just look at some stats from that game, which I'm just scrolling through, but the um, like the Raiders beat us on your possession um, and total metres metrics, but metres per carry were pretty much even, right? And so um, that idea of bigger pack, we're going to struggle to hold the middle, we're going to lose yardage, it happened, but not in the way you'd expect. So we lost in terms of possession, which is down to um, repeat sets, errors, penalties, six against. But we didn't lose in the sense of 
um, our guys were getting forced back and couldn't make metres against their pack. In fact, we were pretty much parity. And Webby said this in the post game where he said, or, or maybe in an interview since then, might have been an interview with Sammy Hewitt actually, um, where he said, I don't see Dylan Walker getting pushed back in a tackle, right? You don't see that. And it's true. Um, so this sort of big middles thing, I don't think we need to worry about it. I'm certainly not worried about it as much in terms of our smaller bodies aren't going to be able to make metres on their carry against these bigger middles. It's more a fatigue and a grind thing over 80 minutes where I think that, that can be a worry, if that makes sense. So I'll sort of pause that monologue for a bit. Um, but do you sort of get what I mean there? It's not that our little guys are going to get dominated by their big guys and make no metres. That's not what happened. It is not really what's been happening. It's more that over 80 minutes, a team of big guys can wear us down. And this is, you know, Canberra were finishing stronger than we were, you know, until we got to Golden Point. They were coming at us the last 20 minutes. So it's more that um, where I think we've still got a little bit of a vulnerability. I think for me, the, yeah, just the, just the PTSD of, uh, collapses from ghosts of collapses past come flooding back uh, and biggest takeaway was how rare that has been in uh, 2023 we've been great front runners in the second half and haven't really leaked a whole bunch of points late certainly not when we're in the lead um, and yeah I guess that was you know a touch disappointing there was a hint of luck especially about that second last Raiders try and then um, you know they pulled something out of the bag to to uh, send it into the extra time, but we got the two points, which was obviously incredibly significant again, and uh, got to see another Sean Johnson clutch moment, which was uh, pretty magical and, yeah, good practice for some bigger games later in the year. Um, How how do you feel about that one, I guess, emotionally, Keith, seeing, seeing us get run down like that? Any concerns or just happy to get the two points? I don't think there's the long-term concerns for me, but I, I share the, uh, the the thought process of the PS, uh, PTSD comment. I think we've all, we all went there in our minds for a second. I watched it at a bar in, in the city, um, kind of near you, um, Fonzie, actually, and uh, I think I was the only Warriors fan in the bar, and I just couldn't contain myself. Uh, <laughs> everyone knew that I was a Warriors fan by the time that moment happened, so everyone had turned on me, unfortunately, but uh, I couldn't agree more. Canberra's attack was lacklustre, to say the least. There was nothing creative about it. They were just sort of uh, forward-centric. Um, you know, we probably need to learn how to defend kicks a bit better. Um, we're so focused on maintaining our unique defensive structure that we've got in place this year that um, maybe the fact that Canberra scored so easily from a few kicks, um, you know, might give teams like the Titans... Um, a bit of a head start in their planning, um, you know, when they come to play us. Um, in saying that, um, I worried that, well, I think this was a good reality check in the fact that we can't get complacent and maybe we sort of got used to winning as well. Um, we can't clock off. We, we struggle to have Adam Fanil Blake and Tohu Harris off the field at the same time. Um, and maybe this was a reality check that if one of those guys gets into yep. particularly AFB, I think the fact that, you know, particularly AFB have been fit all year long is sort of um, masks, masks the need for a, another decent-sized prop. Um, you know, we heard at the start of the year from Webby and, and, and Cappy that, you know, a new prop is one of the one of their top targets in terms of recruitment, and that's gone off the radar quite a bit. 
And the last thing I'd want to see is for us to be like, oh, look how we're going now. Um, we don't really need that. And then AFB gets injured and we realise just what a gaping hole it is and it's too late to recruit another prop. So I really hope that we're, we're you know, still in the market for another big size prop. And, um, and a game like this kind of highlighted, at least at the back end, um, the need for another prop as has playing in the wet and a few times that we played in the wet at home this year as well. So that's obviously, you know, more down to, to Cappy's decision there, but um, a game for the ages. Um, and I just wonder where Sean Johnson now sits on in the pantheon of, of greatest ever warriors. I mean, is he, is he up there with Stacey yet as our greatest ever halfback? Is he getting there? Does he have to do more? Do we need to win a premiership, make another grand final with him? He's yeah, got to do well, more. I mean, yeah, I don't think he's probably quite at the level of Stacey, but, I mean, obviously I'm the biggest Sean Johnson apologist out there, and he's certainly on the Mount Rushmore of greatest warriors, uh, sort of floating around that probably number three spot behind Jones and Mannering right now. If he wins a premiership, geez, it's hard to... Uh, it's pretty easy to make an argument for him to be, you know, right up there because that's... That's the only thing that hasn't been done by Warriors is leading us all the way. And if it's going to happen, it's him that's going to do it um, either this year or next. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's just been a dream dream ride and a, a great way to finish off, a, I guess, a, a hard career to define because there has been some pretty low points and obviously leaving for a few years. But, um, yeah, I'll always have him up higher than, I guess, your average Warriors fan would. What about yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely the same. I think he's my favourite, probably player of all time across you know the whole league. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think yeah, I'm safe to say that Sean Johnson is is my favourite player that I've ever come across, really. And um, geez, if he does take us to a premiership, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but uh, you can only imagine oh, the, the the Warriors halfback to finally break the curse. Yeah, I agree. It's hard to not have him on top after that, but um, yeah, I agree with Fon. He's probably got a little bit more to go yet before we can consider him in, on par with Stacey, I think. Yeah, I would absolutely. He might sorry, do it by the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I uh, would absolutely put it up there with the greatest sort of career renaissance and unlikeliest of, you know, that we've seen ever just about. It's just come from nowhere. He's been close to the best player in the competition. Um, you know, even I, as, as a massive, massive fan, really didn't think he was capable of this sort of level. Um, so, yeah, we've talked about it ad nauseum on here. But I never get sick of talking about it or thinking about it. It's, um, yeah, just a microcosm of, of a wonderful turnaround for the club. Yeah, definitely. So, Keithy, where are we, mate? What, what happens from here? Put your crystal, get the crystal ball out. Um, tell me, how many do we win out of these five? And how deep do we go? Where's where's the performance level at, and where's it heading to? Yeah, I think we win. Maybe five. Five's not out of the question. Maybe I think we win four. Um, mm-hmm. If if I had to put a number on it, mm-hmm. I don't think we make top two. I've I've looked at Penrith yeah. and Brisbane, and um, it's hard, eh? You got to win five to make top two, and even then, Brisbane's got to drop a couple. Yeah, I uh, I was eyeing off that Brisbane versus Storm game in round 27 as one that they could drop, um, and I think they've got a buy as well. So the you know I just can't the for and against is fairly decent. 
I can't see us making top two, as, as amazing as that would be. Um, but I can see us finishing third. I think mm. all said and done, that would be the position that you'd have to have as favourite to finish, which means that we'll take on Brisbane anyway. So whatever I do, I come back with the fact that we're playing Brisbane in round one of the finals. I don't mind playing Brisbane at Suncorp as well, as far as a road trip in the finals goes. Um, you know, there'll be a huge Warriors contingent there rather than play at Mount Smart. But it's, um, well, there's Fonz. I thought it was a, another interloper. He's um, opened up a new window. See his little face there again. That's better. Um, yeah. Big one, big one for the, just on the Broncos. Huge one up in Townsville this Saturday. Uh, if they drop, if they go down to the Cowboys, who until yesterday were on fire, um, that shakes things up a little bit. Especially if we can keep winning and keep that asset on. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't think we can run down Penrith. There's just sure. no way they drop more than two. Surely that game sold out as well. So, so the Broncos for and against. The difference is 153, whereas ours is 111. But we have sub, well, we have sort of bottom eight, if not bottom, you know, the, the sort of bottom seven teams of the competition um, upcoming in the next five rounds. So we could well and truly gain some points difference then. If Broncos lost to the Cowboys and lost to the Storm in the final round, it would come down to four and against. But if Broncos beat the Cows this weekend, I think that um, it's safe to have us not finishing top two. Yeah, it's not. They don't have the easiest other games either. Two desperate teams in Parramatta and probably Canberra by that stage could be scrapping for, for their spot in the eight. So, you know, not not exactly gimme. So it's going to back the Broncos to win both. But, um, you know, certainly not like playing the Tigers or the Dragons um, at the moment. So, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with where our draw is and the fact that we're kind of talking about us almost being home and hose for the top four is pretty crazy, given, you know, what our scope was from the start of the season. Well, on, on my on my mass, having spent some time studying the ladder last night. Um, so, think, Fonzie can't get enough of the ladder these days. Well, <laughs> no, I heard this one. <laughs> the, 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 the time has come. The time has come to look at the ladder. Um, so, funnily enough, I think two wins probably – gets you in the eight guarantee, but it's not mathematically certain three years. But I think three is all also going to be enough to get you in the four. So there's a real, um, like, if it's, I think once you get three wins, you're safe as in top four. Um, so, but two doesn't, I don't think, certainly even get you in the eight. So it's, it's going to be, um, like, if we drop a game early, like, let's say we drop to the Titans coming off the bye, it actually could get a little bit nervy again quite quickly yeah. because yeah. if those teams sitting in that, you know, 7, 8, 9 win, um, the gap starts closing up. But, yeah, I couldn't really see how we end up second, if I'm being real. It was just – it needed everything to go our way. And um, when I did my expected value of these last five games, I had us at 3.6. Like, so when I sort of added up the probability that I thought we'd win each game, so more likely to win four than three, but I don't see us winning five, I don't think. I think we'll probably win four. Um, and that'll get us in the top four, which would be absolutely outstanding. So um, just to circle back to Keith's comment about Adam or Blake, couldn't agree more, mate. Um, we, can't, we don't beat the Raiders without him on um, that last game. And if he goes down... There's no amount of extra minutes from Bunty, Afoa, and Tohu, who's already played 70 anyway, that is going to fill that hole. Um, I don't think we can do anything in the comp without Fanua Blake there. Mm. Yeah, 
it's a worry because we've had a reasonably good run injury-wise with certain players this year. Mm. We, I wouldn't say we've had a great run injury-wise in, injury in general, but for players that are the most irreplaceable, yeah. I'd say we've had a, a good run. We can't replace AFB and we and we've struggled to replace Sean Johnson. Agreed. Even Volkman's killing it in the New South Wales Cup. Um, would see a deterioration of performance straight away 100%. if those two go down. And they're both agree. all year. We can't do anything if either of those two goes down. Tohu's probably third, but he's you can just it's not that what he does is less valuable. You can just get bits of it from different players and put it together. But there's no one else who can do the hard out carry that Fenua Blake does. And there's no one else with the kicking game and the judgment and, you know, um, game awareness of Sean. Um, I just can't see how we can replace those two. Yep. The, uh, the rest of the NRL weekend definitely went our way with the Raiders absolutely terrible against Newcastle. So they're, and their for and against is appalling. The uh, ranks them 12th in the competition they're for and against, but uh, they've effectively two wins behind us now and fifth. Uh, they'd need to win, yeah, two more games than us with their bad for and against. And then um, next down is Rabbitoh Sharks and Cowboys on who are four points behind. So, yeah, it's all looking pretty good for yeah, the top well, four. My, my last comments on, on this is, one of the reasons, you guys asked me at the start of this episode how I'm feeling about this year in comparison to previous years that I've been following the Warriors. And one of the reasons why I'm feeling so good is it's empirical. The, the, the mm. points difference is a sign of how dominant your team has been. And, mm. I, you know, we scraped into the eight, you know, albeit all the teams that clustered up in 2018. I don't think our points differential was that impressive that year. We've always been that basically what the Raiders are now, sort of up there sometimes, but the for and against is an indication of just how inconsistent we've been. Whereas this year, the for and against um, points differential is 111, which is the third best in the league currently, despite coming off a bye uh, last round. And that shows the dominance and consistency that we've, that, you know, subsequently eluded us previous years, I think. Yeah, yeah. it sort of comes back to where we've been talking recently about how Webster has brought our uh, performance floor up so much higher and our worst loss was probably the, you know, well, Statistically, margin-wise against South and probably performance-wise too. But, you know, if that's your worst performance of the year, you're going pretty good. Mm, um, even in 2002, we, we lost 44-0 to, to the Roosters only a few weeks before uh, grabbing the minor premiership. So, you know, we, most teams, and certainly us, always have those sort of, you know, just blowout games you want to put in the bin. Um, but, yeah, there just hasn't been those sort of games. It's, uh, it's arguably the most consistent Warriors team of all time already. Well, the 2018 year, I mean, Kearney had us fit and with good defensive cohesion and great attitude, bit of money in the camp. Um, but Kearney didn't know how to do an attacking game plan to save his life is the truth of it. Um, and so, you know, we're only really any good on one side of the ball. And Webby has shown he's got us going on both sides of the ball. You know, so it is a yeah, different ball game. Ultimately, we ended that year in eighth position on the same amount of points, that being 32, as 5th, 6th and 7th. Yep. However, we had the uh, the lowest points differential in the top eight that year, which is 25 points. So you can see, you know, it's great to sort of finish the top eight. And I was on a high at the time, but it, it was a very different year to what this one is. And this one's optimistic about how we're playing. Yeah, they got off to such a flyer that, and then just sort of 
bumbled their way almost to the to the finals. It was great to get there. Um, made it fairly comfortably, even if it was eight. Uh, Fifteen nine record is second best equal mm. in in, uh, in the club's history. Um, but yeah, as you say, that it was you know the four and against shows kind of where they were at. Um, didn't win more than two in a row after that five and zero oh start. This year's team, if they could win all five games, uh, equal their best ever regular season record of seventeen and seven. So kind of shows uh, where where this team ranks, I guess. I mean, I think besides that 2002 team, our best teams or the ones we remember most fondly are because of what they went on to do in the finals, coming from deep and going quite far. 2003, they finished sixth and reached a prelim. 2008, famously coming from eighth to reach a prelim and, and made a grand final from sixth in 2011. So we just aren't a team that... Um, you know, that does this well in the regular season. This will be, if we make the top four, only the third time in our history, which is, you know, quite the underachievement, but also, again, under, underlines how well Webster has done uh, this year in his first year. Especially yeah. coming off such a low base from last year. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. Yeah, okay. Ooh, all right, so where do we go next, boys? Well, I think we've got Keith here. It'd be remiss of us not to... Uh, delve into the international game a little bit? What do you reckon, Fonz? Sounds, sounds good. I mean, maybe I'll start with this, putting it to you this way, Keithy. Um, a lot of talk about, well, obviously we had the World Cup, um, then this, the players' collective bargaining agreement has, seems to have held up any announcements this year other than Tonga going to England. Do we know what the hell's going on there and what's going to happen next? Yeah, it's certainly the reason why everything's been held up is that CBA meeting. Um, as you guys probably already know, the the ARLC wants to um, mandate that everyone that plays an international game subsidised or underwritten by the NRL is a um, the same match fee payment of $5,000. Just where those funds are drawn upon is is another story. Um, I think fundamentally, fundamentally what we're seeing is a paradigm shift with international rugby league, um, I, the NRL is now the only rugby league organisation um, with enough money to subsidise and underwrite games. Um, and what we're seeing is them taking the responsibility for all Pacifica um, and I wouldn't say Southern Hemisphere because, you know, if you're a train spotter like myself, you know the teams like South Africa play uh, internationals fairly often, but let's call it the Pacific region. Um, and... Peter Volandis and Andrew Abdo now have full-time seats on the International Rugby League board. I think that meeting in Singapore, I actually can't remember the date of that meeting, but uh, that'll be their first one uh, with that power. So, look, for years I've been saying, you know, International Rugby League needs to be considered the pinnacle. And for as long as I've been alive, it's been crippled by a, a lack of funds. Um, and the reality is that if we want the international game to get where it is, we're probably going to have to cede some of the power to the NRL in terms of being the, the IRL. In an ideal world, you'd have a FIFA-strength organisation when compared to the relationship with individual client countries and, and members, et cetera. But the reality is it's rugby league. We, we simply don't have that. So the most pragmatic outcome here is the NRL, in exchange for underwriting all matches to do with Pacific nations, um, you know, basically increases the power over international rugby league. And for all intents and purposes, they've already had that power anyway because the NRL provides the majority of the players for most internationals, um, you know, that 
you know, are of, of a decent standard, I should say. Where What that does in terms of the Northern Hemisphere is a concern for those following International Rugby League. And it's um, what we're seeing is the RFL in England have convinced Tonga to, um, to go play England in a three-test series at the end of the year, which is fantastic because I don't think England's a huge consideration uh, for the commission, and it really should be because it offers an alternative to what, say, the AFL has, for example, and you risk sort of being only Australian-based players or New Zealand-based players. Um, England's a key component to the future of international rugby league, so we simply can't neglect them. But England find themselves in a, a very awkward position of having no countries around them that are strong enough to keep them at a competitive standard regularly. Mm-hmm. So they need to underwrite Pacific countries like Tonga um, this year. Um, there's a huge financial risk that comes with that. Um, I believe Samoa is probably going to tour England next year. Um, but what that means for the immediate future in terms of the next sort of um, three or four months for International Rugby League is that we'll see a tournament um, with Australia, New Zealand and Samoa in it, hosted by Australia and New Zealand. I think maybe the final should be in New Zealand, but that's yet to be confirmed. And there's... Hang on, Keith. I haven't heard that. Is that is that a bit of mail you've got? Is this a bit of a... Um, I, I've not seen that publicised yet. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a sort of worst kept rumour thing, but it's all but confirmed. And I think it'll be released in the next week, maybe two weeks maximum. So right. we'll see that Tri-Nations happen um, probably yeah, wow. November. It's a four-week tournament. Um, and there's still negotiations going on between the Australian and the Papua New Guinean government as to underwriting the second Tri-Nations. So that'll involve Fiji, Papua New Guinea and the Cook Islands. Right. Um, now, there's a big push for that to actually be hosted, at least a number of games, in Papua New Guinea, yeah. um, in order for that to happen, you know, we, we've seen how eager the Australian government is to back any ventures into Papua New Guinea as a soft power response to uh, geopolitical tensions in the area. So the Australian government last week gave $5.5 million to nurture rugby league pathways in Papua New Guinea. Um, and then, you know, that sort of final piece of the immediate puzzle is for the little bit more funding to be able to be released. Uh, for that second Tri-Nation series that will run at the same time as the Samoa, New Zealand and Australia tournament um, to be played in Papua New Guinea as well. So once again, that's Cook Islands, Papua New Guinea and Fiji. Um, at the same time, England plays Tonga in the Northern Hemisphere and um, and France is somewhat neglected a little bit at the same time, although I believe they'll play in the Euros against teams like Ireland, Scotland and Wales. Well, that would be a way better calendar than anyone thought you know, a few weeks ago, given the lack of announcements, where if we had six teams playing in, you know, proper international tournaments here at the end of the year, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, just to correct one thing I just said, the Euro is in doubt, if not temporarily cancelled, because the World Cup, it was initially used as a platform to provide World Cup qualifiers. Um, It involved England Knights. I think Serbia was in there as well. Italy, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales and France as well. Uh, given the fact that the French government's no longer backing the 2025 World Cup, that tournament's in extreme doubt. But um, certainly England will play Tonga three-match series, and we'll see those two Tri-Nation series at the end of the year. And that should be announced in the next couple of weeks. Just some good gear, Keith. Thank you very much for that. Outstanding uh, wrap-up and insight there, mate. So can I ask a quick one, just off the back of that, Keith? Um, 
you guys still hear me okay, by the way? Yeah, 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 sweet. All good, um, yeah, I was just fiddling with the settings. Cook Islands. So, like, when I sit there and I'm bored and I work out my ideal international program and work out how I'd structure um, tests between Pacific nations and so on, I always end up saying the cookies just don't have the player base, the likely commercial support and so on for me to invest in them as part of a long-term um, top-tier Southern Hemisphere competition. Do you have an opinion on whether that's – but I don't know a lot about the Cook Islands and – the player base and the opportunities there. Do you have an opinion about that? I think um, I've thought about this in the past. And if you look at how quickly the Rugby Union World Cup ended up growing from its inception in 1987, a large part of, of providing competitive teams came from Tonga and Samoa, for example. And Rugby League needs to try and mimic that to a certain degree. Is in the fact that if you were to ideally target a country to grow the game in, it certainly wouldn't be the Cook Islands with something like 20,000 people um, and a rugby league team fielded entirely of of, um, of uh, their diaspora, like uh, Charles de Cook-Lookstad, Murata Niakore, etc. So it's not ideal that the Cook Islands provides one of our top 10 most competitive rugby league playing countries in the world. Um, however, I could be wrong here, but I believe rugby league might be the national sport of the Cook Islands. And that's something that's never actually mentioned. You know, I read article after article about this PNG NRL bid, and PNG is the only country in the world with rugby league as its national sport. I think Cook Islands might have it as its national sport as well. Um, but fundamentally, the Cook Islands weren't part of the original plans. The, the six were Australia, New Zealand, Samoa, Tonga, Fiji. Yeah, and right. Guinea. Cook Islands are the perfect country to provide that even number if one of those countries can no longer participate in a tournament that might require even numbers. Got it. Yeah. Understood. Understood. All right. Very good. Well, we touched on it there. This CBA has been the players, RLPA's negotiations with the NRL has been holding up the international calendar. Um, it just seems to be escalating, not resolving. Um, I've got a few thoughts about it, but um, before I tee off, um, Keithy, what's your do – you, do you have a view on – um, what has held this up and whether, um, you know, a resolution is in sight and, and who needs to bend the knee, if you like, to make it happen? I Yeah, I don't know how. I think this is such a divisive subject that no matter what I say, I'm going to get some people offside. But I've come to realize, the realisation that I'm with the NRL on this. I think... I think the reason for that, obviously I want players to make the most of their time in the game, but players are the first to say that, you know, we're only in the game for a short period of time. So if you give them too much power, there's an innate conflict of interest to be able to focus on their time in the game with it being such a short period, as opposed to the future long-term growth of the game. Um, I read through the points of contention on the RLPA website some of them are very, very valid. So this isn't a binary, I'm with the NRL, just accept it, take it, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, sort of if given the option, I think I side with the NRL in this one. Um, I believe that the players should be able to see more of the financials, uh, or at least a better ease of access in terms of knowing what funds are coming in and where, particularly given the fact that they're on a revenue sharing agreement. Um, but at the same time, I also agree with the NRL's stance that if they're going to 
effectively give hundreds of millions of dollars over the next few decades to a player welfare fund uh, with various components to it. Uh, there should be sort of provisions in place that prevent it from dropping below, you know, X percentage because you've got to, you know, think towards the future as well. You know, future players are going to need to access that funds, even though it's constantly replenishing. But all said and done, uh, I don't know how popular this will be. I, I'm with the NRL on this one more than I'm with the players, but both sides have some valid concerns, I think. What do you reckon, Will? Yeah, look, I haven't look. I don't uh, follow the game off the field as cerebrally as you two, obviously, and you're much more, uh, much better placed to have a uh, educated opinion on this sort of thing. Um, my biggest concern is that uh, it's potentially going to rob Sean Johnson of a yeah. Dalian medal. Yeah, me too. Uh, I was thinking fuck, about that it. would piss me off. It, it's looking very, very likely, more likely than not now. The way things are dragging out, five weeks from the final, well, eight weeks from Dalian night. Uh, we saw it happen in 2003. Uh, they cancelled the Dally M Awards uh, because of a. I don't think it was quite as uh, quite as big a blow up as this, even. Um, and but if that does occur, I'll be claiming Sean's Dally M Medal as much as Penrith fans claim uh, Craig Gower's 2003 one. Well, that's sure. I I just don't get that as a weapon to. Impl- uh, apply like I, I I don't get it. It's it's for the players. It's a celebration of the players, and it's fundamentally going to rob someone like Sean Johnson, whoever it goes to, of one of the highlights of their life. I, I don't you, NR, would it be NRL cancelling it or the Players Association? Players uh, and I can't remember. Players. players boycotting it. Oh wow. Okay. Well, maybe Sean could just turn up then. and Jazz to do the harker for him and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, hey, hey Robbo, you just hire a venue in Auckland with a red carpet. Will and I will turn up in suits, and uh, with Brad and we'll present SJ with the Kings Container Crew Player Ratings <laughs> Player of the Year, mate. That's that's yeah. the old, that's the fallback. Count um, me in too. Yeah, so uh, but yeah, Fonz, you uh, you tell us what you reckon about this. Um, I don't I don't have an opinion on whether the amount of money that's been agreed is too much or too little, right? Don't know. Don't, don't have access to the finances. Um, I don't have, like, a, a dog in the fight. Like, I'm not aligned. I don't know Clint Newton. I don't know Abdo. I'm not, I've got no sort of personal interest in that sense. But what I do feel strongly about is that this CBA is being used as a vehicle to change the management structure of the NRL. Right, and so the players in the CBA have a list of things which they say require agreement rights. Agreement rights means if the NRL wants to do X, the Players Association has to agree. So that means the Players Association has a veto, okay, over X. So one of them is you cannot increase the season by two or more weeks without agreement with the RLPA. Yeah, so that means... If a broadcaster were to offer the NRL a lot of money to increase the season by two weeks, the NRL can't say yes. It has to get the Players Association to also agree, which means you have a a three-way negotiation at that point. You have a negotiation between the NRL and the broadcaster and then between the NRL and the RLPA, and all three need to agree to get things done, right? Now, you just think about that. So I, I negotiate... Um, large contracts in the technology and media space for a living. Okay, I, I'm not. I'm not. I don't do player negotiation 
contracts or collective bargaining agreements. But I can tell you now that your ability to negotiate with a broadcaster will be severely compromised if there's somebody who's not in the room who has a veto over whether or not the deal gets done. Right? It would severely compromise you. So I'm very, very skeptical about this idea of agreement rights applying with the players. Now, the other thing is, like, people say, well, the players should be able to agree, but the other stakeholders don't have agreement rights, right? The New South Wales Rugby League that looks after the development of the game across its biggest state doesn't get agreement rights, right? And the decisions the NRL makes affects the funding to the NSWRL. In fact, if you think about development and all the people involved in development at grassroots as a set of stakeholders, they don't have agreement rights, right? So it, in, in a way, the players would be putting themselves higher in terms of their ability to exert power than these other stakeholders. Now, the NRL, whether they're doing a good job or a shit job, I'm agnostic, different conversation, right? But their remit is to make decisions in the best interests of the game, balancing all of the stakeholders, grassroots, international to the extent it's in the constitution, um, current players, future players, um, broadcasters, clubs, all of those stakeholders. And there's trade-offs there. Sometimes you've got to put, for example, players second and broadcasters first because the audience wants something that the players don't like. But if you do that, you're going to get so much more money that the future of the game is safeguarded. Or you know, other times you've got to say, no, even though clubs and grassroots will scream, we need to raise player payments because we need to compete with union or we need to compete with, you know, other other um, opportunities for our athletes, right? And so the NRL has to balance all of those things. Once you get any one stakeholder saying, no, I need to agree with this or it doesn't happen, you're shifting that balance away and you're taking the overall strategic direction of the game away from the people whose job it is to balance those things and you're giving it to one set of stakeholders. And to be honest, if I had to negotiate against someone right now to you know, do a good deal for my billionaire boss, I would much rather negotiate against Newton than against Abdo. <laughs> that's, 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 I'm yeah, just gonna I, say that. I, I very much agree. And this whole argument that uh, ultimately the players hold all the cards because without the players there's no game. I mean, if you wanna apply that logic, you could apply it a, a lot many many stakeholders in the game like we're, we're just three fans talking about our, our club that makes us happy during the week but without us spending our hard-earned money even you know having eyeballs on tv sets etc there is no funds for players to uh, go professional and to provide for their families for their short time in the game so how, how many sort of stakeholders do you want to argue that point for without the parents there's no players do we, do we then get the parents at the table? Without the fans, there's no TV contract. You know, without head office, there's no one organising the game. So it, it's a straw man argument in my point of view. And, and I mean, the other one that does my head in is, oh, well, the players should get whatever they can because they put their body on the line and all that, right? Okay, so but just understand, revenue's fixed. So when you say, I want to give the players more, that means you're saying you want to take money off a different stakeholder in the game. So do you want do you want to take money off grassroots to give the players more, right? Or do you want to take it off your club to reduce the club grant so your club can do less in the community to give the players more? Like where do you want it to come from? Like mm. it's zero sum. The players are one stakeholder trying to get a bigger the current players trying to get a bigger share of a fixed pie, 
right? That's what is happening here. So when when people say the players, I want them to get as much as they can, screw the NRL. Just understand, the NRL is a not-for-profit organisation. It doesn't make a profit. <laughs> All that money goes to a stakeholder in the game. So what you're really saying there is that you want to take money from a different NRL stakeholder and give it to the players. Now that might be perfectly fine. That might be what you mean, and you know I'm not arguing against that. But that is what you're saying. I just feel like at the moment there's a bit of a um, situation where clearly you know the broadcast media, um, certain channels of it are coming out against the players and talking rubbish and being unprincipled and attacking the man, not the ball. But mm. there's this weird kind of my enemy's enemy's my friend thing going on where mm. it's kind of like yeah. I can I can see that's happening and that's bullshit, but everyone knows that's bullshit. Come on, man. Anyone who's been monitoring NRL media and particularly a certain one, one side of it, right, let's say, since yeah. Super League knows exactly what they do. We know exactly what they're like. We know that's a reason independent media th- like this podcast flourishes, right, because we know what they do. So it's not surprising that the dogs are barking over there, but that doesn't automatically mean, therefore, the players are right. You understand what I'm saying? Like it's 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 sort of everyone's flipped the other way. And um, if you have a problem with the NRL admin or the people in it, ask for reform there, but don't reform the thing to make it ungovernable by having the players being the tail wagging the dog, right? I guarantee you can't I've, – I've been involved in managing large organisations. You can't run an organisation if you've got five different stakeholders each thinking they're, you know, running the show. And it feels to me like the players' associations crossed too far. Yeah, and there's just the last thing on this. Um, I read an article on the weekend. I think it was from Fairfax, uh, a publication, maybe City Morning Herald. Uh, it was saying that because the uh, RLPA is uh, an association funda- fundamentally and not a union, the NRL actually pays or funds the RLPA. Yeah. Now, if it was to become a union, then the players would have to pay from their wages their union fees to fund the RLPA. So that's an interesting tool that the NRL is yet to use yet. Um, because when Clint Newton met with um, the head of unions in Australia last week, it it sure did look like it's a union. So you can't be a, an association when it suits you and, and a union when it suits you. You need to decide what you want to be. And if you are a union, then you've got the uh, the issue that, you know, 750 players across women and men playing professionally, not all of them are going to want to pay your union fees. So you need to decide what you want. You can't have the best of both worlds. I mean, and the other point I'd just say around that, again, because I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to redress what I think is a mindless swing in behind the players from independent media, independent media and so on. Um, but like, let's say we agree that 33% of NRL revenue should go to players or 35, whatever the number is, don't care, it's not my, I'm, you know, but let's say it's that. Then this whole thing, no, you can't increase the season by two weeks without my agreement. Piss that off, right? And just say, that's all good, but any increase that you get from adding two weeks of the season flows through to a 33% increase in the salary cap and therefore all our player payments, right? Then you know that if that happens, you're going to get the benefit, your share of the benefit, but you're not strangling the NRL's attempt to um, make a change that it thinks is in the interest of the game as a whole. Like there's ways to solve that. Agreement rights is the wrong way, in my opinion. Yeah, we don't want an ending in stalemate as well. I've actually thought the season too long for a long time. I'd, I've actually been a, um, a fan of a 22-round season where every single game is an event. 
Um, and then we have an, a genuine window for international rugby league at the end. And if we want to expand the revenue in the game, we, we need to fundamentally look for new markets. Papua New Guinea has 7 million people in it. Okay, it's not a very rich country, but there are broadcasters in that country. There are sort of telecommunications company and mining giants that, you know, are willing to put money behind that as Papua New Guinea is a new market. So the number one, the player in the NRL with the number one highest amount of private sponsorships is actually Justin Olam. Hmm. No one, no so one right. actually, yeah, no one really says that. It's because he's he came through the Papua New Guinean system. So if you want more money, you, you know, you look at New Zealand, for example, Sky New Zealand increased their deal from $97 million uh, in the previous TV deal up to $160 million in the current five-year TV deal. Now, that was because there was competitive tension there. I think, um, what's the name of that? Is it Spark? Yeah, Spark, yeah, Spark Sport. Sport. Now, Spark Sport are no longer around. So Sky New Zealand go back to having a monopoly on the market at the moment. So you, you're almost at saturation point in, ter- in terms of your um, your media rights at the moment. You could probably do more to it, but fundamentally you probably need to expand your market beyond um, well, where you currently are. That's another great example. And I'm not saying this is currently proposed, but let's say it's hard enough to convince bloody Volandis and Abdo that we need to sacrifice in the short term and make an investment in the Pacific, right, or make an investment in, in the international game. But the way this is heading, even if you and I, Keithy, could get down there to HQ and convince Volandis and Abdo to do it, ah, oh, agreement rights, we've got to go and talk to old mate Players Association and say, hey, guys, next couple of years, salary cap's going to come down a bit because we're taking 50 million a year to put into Pacific Pathways. Yeah, what do you reckon he's going to say? <laughs> What's no he going to say? No chance, right? So, okay, so again, how do I why, – why did the players veto? Yeah, this is what I'm worried about. This is what I'm worried about. Yeah, same. Oh, all right. Lots to unpack there. <laughs> Outstanding work, boys. Um, all righty, so let's get back on the field, eh? Um, Gold Coast this weekend. What do we think? Banana skin? Yeah, that's that's my initial thought. Uh, even before yesterday, I kind of think banana skin. Just the way that they play, the a lot of speed all over the park, a dynamic team. Um, I'm quite. They've become one of my favourite teams to watch this season, even if they, you know, are far from a complete uh, side, and they just have a few weapons that might prop us up a little bit. I think. Um, Cam Pereira on the wing, uh, yeah, great back five. I mean, you know, Brimson goes off yesterday and you bring Jaden Campbell on. There's so much creativity there. you got Foran in the halves uh, sort of steering them around. David Fafita uh, will be running at Sean Johnson all day, although he's handled those sort of assignments very, very well this year. Um, no uh, Tino Faso Malawi, but still a pretty formidable back, I think, with uh, Fodawaker mm-hmm. and... Um, yeah, Fafita and and uh, and a few sort of lesser lesser lights there. Um, and and yeah, they're they're a desperate team that uh, you know needs to win every game to stay in the finals race. So can they make the finals? Um, they might need a bit to go their way, but if they won five, they would finish on thirty-two points. And you know, other results maybe they scrape in. Um, they're like us every other year, Keith, at the moment. They're yeah, doing, yeah. They're doing yeah. the mathematicals five rounds out. That's... <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. yeah. If they won all five, I just, 
Yeah, even then, I still play. The Cowboys are on 26 points, and they're at the bottom of the eight. Um, and then the Titans are on 22. There's a maximum 10 points still up for grabs. Oh. Can be done. If you if you swept the floor of it and ended up on 32, because I reckon we were saying before we reckon 34 is probably the cutoff. 32, 34, I think, is where you've got to be. So... I think I think they are still mathematicals. I think when I did ladder predictor, it was thirty three actually that got um, for me that got you in the eight. But um, but I don't want to go about, on about the ladder too much more. So I mean, I think um, did it, did any of you guys watch them play the cows yesterday and see? Yeah, uh, great. It was a replica of their win over the Broncos. You know, yeah. they find when they can find that defensive yep. steal. Yep. They are a top eight quality team. It just, you know, they don't put it together for 80 long enough. For, um, looking at their season, I mean, it's one of what could have been, uh, you know, bottled some huge leads, um, some absolutely agonising cliffhangers. They, they lost to the Dolphins and Golden Point recently with their Origin players out. Uh, that one-pointer against uh, Parramatta, they, you know, so could have easily won that game. Um, you know, they could, easily, they could be knocking on the door of the top four if they had a little bit more uh, luck or gumptions going their way. So, in saying that, I don't think they deserve to be in the top eight by any stretch, but uh, but they are a, a tricky team for us to come up against in their current. Do, do you have stats on teams coming off the bye, Will? Is there a trend there this no. year? Question without no, notice. I, don't. I think we uh, – so this year we – the Warriors came off the bye uh, with a loss from memory against the Broncos off our first yeah. long way to buy. Um, and then I think we won, didn't we, off the next one. Um, sorry, I'm just bringing that up now. Uh, yeah, so we came off the, the buy after the Canberra win and win in Canberra and then went to Wollongong and beat up on the Dragons. Yeah. So one and one. one, and one. Um, yeah, I just it's, it's a game where the you know pressure is on us as a big favourite. Um, we're, you know, we're very hyped now. Yeah. Uh, talking about us as a top four team and a smoky contender for the title. So, yeah, it's, it's a good test, I think. Um, it's a harder game than it probably shaped as um, before kickoff in the Titans game yesterday. Um, the boys yeah. flew up early. They flew up on Saturday, I'm told, um, and went into camp on the Gold Coast a week out. So they had, they had that week last week off up till Friday, then Saturday morning flew up and gone into camp in the Goldie. So, um, you know, they're taking it pretty serious and prepping up there this week. Um, I think they'll win. I think they'll win 13 plus. It uh, should be a good Kiwi contingent there, I think, which I've been to a few uh, Warriors-Titans games and it's felt like a, at the very worst half and half um, and, and when things are going well, it feels like a home ground. So I think that the, uh, the Warriors fans in that region, which there are plenty of them, uh, will revel in, in that um, opportunity. But, yeah, I mean, we should get the win. They're just uh, – they can be a dangerous outfit that rack up really, really quick points. Yeah, if they decide they want to tackle that day, yeah, they're hard to beat. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Lenahan has seemed to unlock something that the previous week certainly wasn't um, a good example when they trailed the Roosters 36-0 early in the second half. But, yeah, against the Broncos and the Cowboys, they showed what they can do against quality – Quality teams that have been playing good footy. So, uh, yeah, I don't think that uh, we'll go and, you know, complacent by any means. I'm looking forward to it. Should be a good one. Kathy, what do you got? What do you reckon? 
Yeah, I think I agree with both of you guys. I agree with Will in the context that it is a banana skin game, but I think that's um, I think that's our PTSD talking from previous years, and and uh, I think last year's game against us to basically end the season at Mount Smart was one of the hardest losses to take of all yeah. the year, apart from the Dragons uh, game. Was that last year? Of course, Barbecue Gate. That was uh, two two years ago, I think, when uh, Ed Cossey had a bit of a oh, late yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, so we'll go to that. You know, it's funny that that, you, that was harder to take than the seventy to ten loss to the the storm. We we were good in that first half, but um, anyway, I digress. Um, I agree with you, Fonzie, uh, in the fact that I'm going to go thirteen plus. I spent the first five minutes of this podcast saying that we're a different team. I've actually got a bit of confidence behind us. I know that um, we're, a lot of people are expecting us to fall down like we usually would at this time of the year, but. Um, on the chain of thought that we are playing to sustainable and replicable systems in defence and attack. The Titans' defence has been horrendous this year. They've blown leads that the, at the time seemed insurmountable. And we've been good in both defence and attack. So, look, yep. 13 plus to the Wars. Beautiful. As we're talking uh, a day before Teamless Tuesday, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on whether Jazz Tavanga does come back into the 17, and if so, for who? I've got no mail on that, um, but I think he does come back in um, just based on he'd be available, and I don't think Jazz needs to go through a cup. He's a vet. He's a, you know... Junkyard dog, man. He doesn't need to worry about it. He'll, he'll turn up. And also, he's only going to play 30 minutes anyway, mm-hmm. you know, I think, in our rotation. So I think he comes on um, as a as part of a middle rotation with walks, as he had before. So um, that – is that weird feedback? Um, so to me, that probably means um, – that probably means you don't need Barnett off the bench – you start Barnett with um, AFB, and that means you don't need um, – you probably don't need your bench prop. So it's probably R4. Yeah. yeah. Fair call. I mean, I think that's probably our, the 17 best available players in my mind. We're in good. Uh, I'm, I'm just looking at the um, early mail from News Limited, okay, Daily Telegraph Courier Mail here. So for the Titans, we've got AJ Brimson suffered an abdominal injury in the win over the Cowboys, but was able to finish the game. Uh, Jaden Campbell uh, would deputise at fullback if Brimson is unavailable. And for the Waz, we've got Murata Niakore is likely to be cleared after suffering a concussion in the win over the Raiders in round 21, while Jazz Devanga is due back from injury off the bench, whilst Ed Cossey is likely to be made available for selection, but may struggle to crack the Warriors' back five. Tamani Martin, uh, return from injury, has been delayed. He's now due back at the end of August. Yeah, there you go. I reckon it's Jazz time. And I, I, Cossey's, I think we all agree Cossey's going to come back through Cup, right, from here? Oh, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Look, yeah, no, it should be good. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I think, um, I think, uh, you know, like it's, it's, it's there's, even though we need to win some games, do you feel like the pressure's off now? I feel like the pressure's off. I feel like, you know, like I'm, I'm just going to be watching in a much more kind of relaxed state than the last few weeks because I feel like if we'd lost to the Sharks or to Canberra, it would have crushed like mm. that. Yeah. yeah you know, that sense of the thing being built. But, um, yeah, I, I don't – I'm now convinced we've got a good team. So, 
I'm, I'm watching to see how this good team goes. I'm not watching for them to prove to me they're a good team anymore, if that makes so, sense. So. Because of how our buys fell and the timing of our buys this year, you can almost, you know, it's almost perfectly divided as a season into into quarters. So obviously the, the first third of the long. season, the second third of the season, and now we're in the final third of the season with five um, rounds remaining. So this feels like a new era this weekend mm. of the season. Yep. And then we've got these five teams that are all sort of in the bottom seven in the ladder. Um, and and then finals is obviously the penultimate quarter uh, that we're after the fourth quarter. Um, so I'm very curious to see how we kick off this era um, with in terms of our form and our attitude. But I'm so confident that Webby is anything but a complacent guy. The fact that yeah. we've, you said earlier, Fonzie, we're flying over early. Like it's, there's, no, there's no room for complacency, but that... Coming off the bye, the last couple of times, obviously the loss of the Broncos, and then um, who was who did we come off the bye? It was the Dragons, and it was a slow start against the Dragons over there. To yes, took them that's what I did worry about. Mm. Yeah, so the bit bit of bit of lacklusterness um, after the bye. Um, so I hope that doesn't occur this time round. I hope we've learnt from you know the first couple of buys. Yeah, my sense is Webby comes across real chill, laid back. But I actually reckon he's a bit OCD, not clinically, <laughs> but, but no, seriously, like not clinically, but I think he's pretty OCD kind of dude when you get down to it. So um, I agree with you. He won't be, he won't be chilling. He won't be relaxed. Very good, boys. Um, cracking yarn. Any shout outs, Will? I got one before we sign off. Uh, no new ones, uh, aside from obviously to, to Keith for joining us, um, mate, outstanding. You're welcome back anytime. Sensational uh, debut on. Okay. Happy to be on, on anytime. You guys need to fill in. Whatever. Uh, you're more than a fellow mate. We'll certainly have you back. And yeah, and, and again, thanks for your support via the, the Patreon platform and to everyone else, uh, the other 30 odd that are on there as well. And to King's Container Crew, uh, but Fonz, you had another shout out. I, I just want to shout out to, um, to Dutchie over at the the Warriors Waffle podcast. Um, those boys, um, I think um, I think I communicated with them once on um, the NZ Warriors forum and basically said, hey, guys, if you want more pods like my one, why don't you start your own, which I did. And it's, I, I enjoy listening to it. But, boys, honestly, if you want to die on the hill, that is Rocco Berry won't be a solid NRL first grader. I, I don't know. I can't help you. I cannot help you. All right, so they're still um, on that bus. I, I just they will not get Love off it. that hill. They won't get off that hill. You need to get off two hills. One is Rockleberry can't play, and then the other is it's all about the refs. Otherwise, um, Dutchy, both of you, but Dutchy in particular, I really appreciate your contribution, mate. So, cheers. Boys, no, I've had a, a dabble on that one, and uh, they know their stuff for sure, and um, put in plenty of work, as all the other content creators out there do um and yeah it's a great time to be doing this sort of thing but can, just thinking back fonds having to trudge our way through oh, fuck. awful performance yeah. after awful performance last year i mean it was got kind of exciting when uh shit was hitting the fan off the field just because you had something different to talk about but uh yeah certainly reaping the rewards we could easily pack it in i reckon at the end of last year weirdly Weirdly for me, I feel less need to do podcasts this year because everything's great. Um, like and and 
you know, like there's there's a lot of good content out there now that um, compared to before. So I feel like there's sort of less of a need to fill a gap from just the sheer volumes of rubbish that were coming out. But um, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I I kind of just more log into them now you know like i don't feel quite the need to analyze the game as much because it's going good and you know like because um, i'd always be trying to where are we going wrong what can we do better how can we improve what do we need to do what's needed the club's doing all the right things and the coach is doing all the right things and so you know we're mostly just describing the good things that are happening and yeah, it's a very different vibe it's it's just so relaxing really enjoy it well i enjoy listening guys thanks mate Thanks, mate. You want to shout anyone out while you're here? No, 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 no one comes to mind. <laughs> to be honest with you, just happy to contribute. No, great to have you, mate. It uh, just about uh, takes us to the end of it. But again, Keith, thanks, mate, and thanks for uh, your insights, particularly on the the uh, international game and the CBA stuff. It's um, great to to get someone in the know with uh, you know such an educated opinion on it all um on this podcast certainly not getting that from me and brad fonzie yeah, certainly uh, uh of you guys chimes in but uh yeah no it's great mate we'll certainly have you on again um fonzie still there mate still here mate get off my screen. yeah so still you here. might as well uh sign us off mate really simple guys uh i hope you enjoyed your buy rest it up and it's going to be a freaking roller coaster from here on in hopefully for nine weeks so Till next time, go the Warriors. Go the Warriors.